Today is the big day. President Obama is set to give his State of the Union address. We will preview it for you. Plus, Hillary Clinton is now in a dogfight with Bernie Sanders, plus some things that I like, some things that I hate, mostly things that I hate. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. Ah, tonight, Barack Hussein Obama will descend from his palace in the sky. He will walk into his imperial coliseum. All of the fawning legislators will bow before him. He will gaze up to the sky and he will inform us of our fate. And then he will spill chicken entrails to explain what the next year will look like. That's basically what the spectacle is going to be tonight. I couldn't be more pissed about having to watch this. Like, seriously, I could not be more frustrated. I do it for you, dear watcher and listener. Because the fact is that I have tickets to 13 hours. The, the preview of 13 hours is happening at 7.30 tonight. Barack Obama is speaking at 6 o'clock Pacific time. I have to not go to a movie I want to see so I can watch someone I despise jabber for 60 minutes about how much he hates me. Ugh. And my birthday is this week. It's just a rough week. Okay, so yeah, I'm the real victim in all of this. Let's be real. I am the real victim in all of this. And in two days, I have to watch another Republican debate. Which even, And I just found out last night that John Kasich is going to be part of that Republican debate. He was supposed to not be part of the debate, and then they inserted him. And I'm so upset about this. I could not possibly be more upset about the fact that John Kasich is going to be apparently air-chopping watermelons again at the debate. And it's it's John Kasich, who, whose father, by the way, is a mailman. He, he will be at the debate, and I will have to, I will have to watch that, that horrible debate in two days. So you say I don't sacrifice to, to bring all of this knowledge to you? To, to bestow all of my intellectual wisdom upon you? Yeah, well, it's hard work, gang. It's hard work. In any case, President Obama's supposed to speak tonight, and he's going to say a lot of stupid things. A lot of stupid things. The last time a president of the United States, who was a Democrat, left office after two terms, terms his, his, his State of the Union address, his parting shot, and Bill Clinton was famous for his parting shots, just ask Paula Jones and Monica Lewinsky. Uh, Bill Clinton's his parting shot was 88 minutes long. He battled on for 88 minutes. So tonight, we're going to get an hour and a half. President Obama feels the need to break the Guinness Book of World Records, I'm sure. So he'll go for probably four or five hours tonight about how wonderful he is and how he's so special. President Obama did basically a preview of his State of the Union address this morning. He was on the Today Show with Matt Lauer, and he, exa he, he explained that basically everything is hunky-dory. And here he is getting all excited for his State of the Union address. The economy right now uh, is doing better than any other economy in the world uh, by a significant margin. Uh, we remain the strongest nation on earth by far. And there are no existential threats facing us. But if we make some good choices now, whoever the next president is, whoever's controlling the next Congress, there's no reason why we shouldn't own the 21st century. You said Okay, so President Obama says the economy is hunky-dory, never mind that we have record dropouts from the workforce, never mind that his recovery has been unbelievably stagnant. When he says that our recovery has been stronger than anybody else's, that's not true. There are economies that have done better than the United States economy during the same period. But we are the most powerful country on planet Earth because of all the things that President Obama wants to ruin. Basically, all of the things that, that built this economy, all of the things like capitalism and free markets, that built this economy are the things President Obama wants to destroy. So he says also there that there are no existential threats to the United States. This is a dichotomy that President Obama frequently drops, right? That there, well, Things may be bad, but there are no existential threats to the United States. 
the idea that the only threats that matter to us are existential ones, that is a recipe for inaction. Because the truth is that in the entire history of America, and I've said this before, there have probably only been, really only been, two existential threats to the United States in the entire history of the United States since founding. Really only two existential threats to the, to the presence of the United States, the Civil War and the Cold War. That's pretty much it. Even Hitler was not an existential threat to the United States. If the United States does not become enmeshed in war in Japan, Hitler probably leaves the United States alone while he conquers the rest of Europe. But President Obama says there are no existential threats. What he means by that is, I'm not going to treat anything as a threat at all. Right? Because he thinks that the only threats worth fighting are existential threats. If it's just a threat to 14 people in San Bernardino, or a cop in Philadelphia, or a couple of cops in New York City, or if it's a threat to 3,000 people in New York City, None of that is an existential threat to the United States. So no biggie. Everything is fine. You notice, by the way, that President Obama's categorization of, of everything is fine rests on we're not in the toilet completely, right? His categorization is the State of the Union is strong so long as it's not a third world hellhole where zombies wander the, wander the earth. I have sort of slightly higher expectations for the United States. President Obama does not. President Obama continues along these lines. He said, Things aren't that bad. You know, Americans are divided, but they're not that divided. I mean, they've been more divided in the past. It's a regret. I could not be prouder of what we've accomplished. And sometimes we look at the past through rose-colored glasses. It's been pretty divided in the past. There have been times where you know, people beat each other with canes. and <laughs> We had things like the Civil So there have been times where it's, it's been pretty rough. But there's no doubt that... Uh, politics in Washington are so much more divided than the American people are. And part of what I want to do in this last address is to remind people, you know what, we got a lot of good things going for us, and if we can get our politics right, it turns out that we're not as divided on the ideological spectrum as people make us out to be. So we're not as divided as we, as we were during the Civil War. Big victory, President Obama. Awesome. Uh, when he says, by the way, that Washington is more divided than the American people, precisely the opposite. The American people are more divided than Washington, D.C. Obviously, Republicans and Democrats in Washington, D.C. basically get along. A lot of them have the same priorities. The American people, ask somebody from San Francisco whether they feel divided from somebody from Texas or vice versa. And I'll tell you, the American people feel pretty divided. Ask blacks living in Ferguson, Missouri, whether they feel more divided from whites who are living in St. Louis, and they will tell you, yeah, we're, we're feeling divided. President Obama has played on these divisions in order to gain himself political power, in order to push forward his agenda. So I want to give a couple of quick predictions for tonight, what President Obama is going to say and what he's not going to say. And, you know, you can drink every time I get one of these predictions right. But as you know from listening to the Ben Shapiro podcast or from watching the Ben Shapiro podcast, I'm right like all the time. So if you play a drinking game on this one, you're going to be drunk about seven minutes into the State of the Union address. First of all, he's going to downplay the threat of terrorism. You already saw him doing it right there. He's been doing it for weeks. He's been basically saying that ISIS is not any sort of existential threat. It's not even a territorial threat. He suffers from radical Islam denial syndrome. So does the rest of his party. And it's even worse than this. They're, they're going to work tonight on what they call targeting Islamophobia. So what are they doing? President Obama tonight is inviting a Syrian Muslim refugee to sit in Michelle Obama's box. And, when, and, and it's not going to be the, the Muslim refugee who was arrested last week in the United States for siding with ISIS or the, or the Muslim refugee who was arrested last week, the other one who was arrested in the United States for siding with ISIS. It won't be either of those. It'll be another Muslim refugee from Syria 
who's a nice, happy, dappy do guy who suffered from cancer and lost a lot of family members and a bombing. And it's not just Obama. Apparently, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who bears a striking resemblance to Jar Jar Banks. I mean, if you if you have ever looked at a picture of the two of them side by side, first of all, you've never seen them both in the same place at the same time. I was wondering why Debbie Wasserman Schultz annoyed me so much. And then I realized last night, looking at a picture of her, that it's because she they may have modeled Jar Jar Banks after Debbie Wasserman Schultz. I'm not lying. You'll have to, we'll have to get the pictures together and put them up tomorrow because it is kind of amazing. But in any case, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, she issued a letter along with a bunch of other Democratic lawmakers urging lawmakers to bring a Muslim to the State of the Union, right, to demonstrate that we don't hate Muslims. The letter said that we have to show the world that we will not be intimidated by fear into discrimination. So in order to do that, we have to make nice with people like CARE, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, which actually has ties to terrorist groups, which was an unindicted co-conspirator in the Holy Land Foundation case in that terror case. We have to bring those people in, and that'll show the world. That'll show. Meanwhile, the radical Muslims, they're just laughing and laughing. Look at these stupid lawmakers. What do we have to do to convince you people that we don't like you and that we want to kill you? I mean, we've killed a bunch of you. What do we have to do around here? I mean, we just had a guy shoot a cop in the middle of your, one of your major cities, and we just had two people murder 14 people in the middle of another one of your major cities, and and we just killed 130 people in Paris, and, and we're, we just raped 600 women or sexually assaulted 600 women across it. What do we have to do here to convince you people that we don't like you and that maybe radical Islam is a threat? And the, and, but, but apparently, according to Debbie Wasserman Schultz and the Democrats, the true threat is the evil lurking in the heart of Americans. And that's going to be the, the sort of dichotomous message of, of to, tonight's uh, State of the Union. If you side with President Obama, you're on the side of the angels. If you don't, then you're an Islamophobic, nasty piece of work, and, and he's going to castigate you because he has to change your soul, as Michelle Obama once said. Okay, something else he's going to do tonight, he's going to exaggerate the threat of gun violence. He's going to suggest that we have record gun violence in the United States, that people are being shot on every street corner, that gun owners are a threat to everyone. He may shed a tear. We've seen that before. He may shed a tear. Although, I'm not sure where he goes from, from last week. I mean, after, after, the, after the cry fest last week, What's he going to have to do? Is he going to actually pull out a hanky and laboriously wipe his face like in an old movie? Uh, it, would be, it would be great if it were like a silent movie and he actually just did faces. And then there were placards that came up and said, Obama is sad. And he went, I think that'd be, that'd be fun. But he's not going to do that. In any case, he's going to do that. He'll, he'll talk about how abortion is a wonderful sacrament. And he's going to brag about how he just vetoed a bill that cut funding to Planned Parenthood. And how it's imperative that in today's world, women be allowed to murder their babies in the womb. He's going to say that. He's going to talk about same-sex marriage for sure. He's going to ignore the fact that same-sex marriage is being used as a club to wield against religious Americans. He's going to ignore the fact that religious business owners are being fined hundreds of thousands of dollars just because they don't want to participate in what they perceive to be sin. He's not going to talk about that, but he'll talk about how same-sex marriage is just another step forward that we won't discriminate based on who you love. Of course, by the way, that's a lie. We always discriminate based on who you love. I mean, what do you do about pedophiles if you don't discriminate based on who you love? I mean, we, we do this all the time. What do you do about incest? But President Obama will go on to call for wealth redistribution. He's going to talk about how Obamacare is a massive, flaming success, even though there's a report today that Obamacare premiums are skyrocketing again, again. They are now apparently five to six times what Obama said they would be when he promised Obamacare was going to work. And finally, President Obama will wrap up with a call for racial reconciliation. He's going to say that what happens in Baltimore and Ferguson, the Black Lives Matter movement, sometimes this is just change. Sometimes change manifests in ugly ways. He'll use almost these words, by the way. Sometimes change manifests in ways that we don't like. 
But this is the face of change. Change sometimes happens in ugly ways, but we have to get beyond all of these rifts. And the only way to do that is to, is to really have it out in the public square. And that's what Black Lives Matter are doing. And that's why we have these debates. And we stand with cops, but we also stand with black Americans victimized by cops, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what President Obama is going to do tonight. I will be hurling. So that's my prediction for tonight. President Obama will speak. I will vomit. Those will be the two predictions for tonight. Meanwhile, Hillary Clinton is having some real troubles on the campaign trail. Hillary is Barack Obama's chosen successor, at least for the moment. He hasn't endorsed her. And in fact, Joe Biden, as we'll get to in a little while, is making noises that sound a lot like he wants to get back in the race. Hillary Clinton is maybe the most incompetent campaigner that I have ever seen. I mean, she's truly incompetent. People were all over Rick Perry for, for making mistakes all the time. It's, it's ridiculous, I will say. For the media to go after Rick Perry for his campaign style, but to leave alone and just pretend that it's not a big deal that Hillary Clinton is legitimately a terrible campaigner. So Hillary Clinton was at a, a, a town hall event with Fusion. Fusion is the Hispanic network very far to the left. And Hillary Clinton was asked about her white privilege. And watch Hillary Clinton grovel to this network about how she has been the beneficiary of white privilege. But don't worry, she's still a victim because she's a woman. Here we go. I mean, where do I start? Uh, I, uh, I think it is, it is hard when you're swimming in the ocean to know exactly what's happening around you so much as it is when you're standing on the shore, perhaps watching. For me, you know, look, I was born white, middle class in the middle of America. I went to good public schools. I had a a very strong supportive family. Um, I had a lot of great um, experiences growing up. I went to a, a wonderful college. I went to law school. I never really um, knew what was or wasn't part of the privilege. I just knew that I was a lucky person and that being lucky was in part related to who I who I am, uh, where I'm from, uh, and the opportunities I had. The left is so mad at her for this answer because it's a rambling, nonsensical answer because she wants to kowtow to the white privilege crowd, but she knows in her heart, Hillary knows in her heart, that her benefits have very little to do with her being white. And so she is desperately struggling against herself. She wants to say that when you exist in a world of white privilege and you're a white person existing in the world of white privilege, that you don't even know where white privilege begins and, and you get credit for your own actions. But if you're a black person from the outside, presumably, or a person of color from the outside, then you can identify all of the specific privileges that white people enjoy. That's what she's trying to say, although she's completely inarticulate. The fact is that Hillary Clinton is not the beneficiary of white privilege. She's, she didn't grow up middle class, by the way. She grew up very wealthy. She grew up in Chicago in a place called Hyde Park, which is a, which is a very upper-class part of Chicago. Her dad was very, very rich. Uh, and, and Hillary Clinton went to the finest schools, and she, she always had it easy. Hillary Clinton lived her entire life on Easy Street. That had nothing to do with her color and everything to do with the fact that her daddy was wealthy, and she could basically have daddy buy anything that she wanted for her, and, and the fact that she then married the future president of the United States. So there were a few things that, that she definitely benefited from. But Hillary has to try so hard to reach out to black folks, and it's clear that it's not really working very well. And her stupidity doesn't end there. So Hillary Clinton was asked, again, the, the left playbook, Hillary is just not even fluent with the new left playbook. This is the problem with being a politician of convenience 
in a in a in a world of leftist principle. Hillary is now living in Bernie Sanders' world and she doesn't even know it. Right? Hillary Clinton is not controlling the fate of the Republican or, or the Democratic Party. Bernie Sanders controls the fate of the Democratic Party. Today, polls, Bernie Sanders up five in Iowa, up fourteen in New Hampshire. So he's starting to run away with things in Iowa and New Hampshire. Now, Hillary, you know, right after that, there's the Nevada caucus and the South Carolina primary. She has advantages in the South, she has advantages in the West, but it's a definite rebuke to Hillary Clinton that she can't win the early states where theoretically she should do really well. She was a senator from New York, right? New York is very close to New Hampshire. So she really should do better in some of these states, and she's not doing well in these states. She was asked yesterday also at this same event whether white terrorism was as bad as ISIS, and she basically said yes. So there are so many different kinds of potential uh, violent acts, and we have to go after all of them. We have to stop them all. We cannot let anybody live in <laughs> fear. And it becomes higher profile when it's tied to international terrorism, because that seems like it's coming from the outside, and it's you know, not homegrown. Well, I saw homegrown terrorism in Oklahoma City, and I saw it in... I saw foreign terrorism in New York City, and I saw people grieving over the loss of their loved ones. And at some point, we all have to come together as a country again and stand against violence and yeah. do something to get the guns out of the hands of people who shouldn't have them, no matter who they are. Okay, that, that's, that's an amazing answer, and it demonstrates Hillary's not even fluent with her own talking points here. She just cited two terrorist attacks, 9-11 and Oklahoma City. Which one of those used guns exactly? Right? Oklahoma City was a fertilizer bomb in the back of a truck, and 9-11 was obviously airplanes. So which one of those would have been cured by gun control? Anybody? Any answers here? Also, when Hillary Clinton says that we ought to fear every kind of terrorism, right? this, is, this is the democratic way of just schluffing off Islamic terrorism. It doesn't matter at all. It's just something that's out there. Okay, as I mentioned yesterday, 1% of the American population maybe is Muslim. They are responsible for at least 50% of all terror deaths in the United States since 9-11, not even including 9-11. If you include 9-11, then they're responsible for 75 to 80% of all terror deaths in the United States. Actually, much more than that. They're responsible for virtually all terror deaths in the United States if you include 9-11. But Hillary Clinton is not even fluent with her own talking points, and it's beginning to tell. So Hillary was asked yesterday also about Bernie Sanders and whether he was electable. Here's Hillary Clinton's answer as to whether Bernie Sanders is electable or not. Well, I'm not going to speak for anybody but myself. I, I will leave that to the voters to decide uh, about who is or who isn't. But I can tell you this, I'm battle-tested. You know, I know how to go up against the Republicans. There's hardly anything that you and uh, the voters don't know about me. Uh, so there won't be uh, a lot of you know, new information coming out or new labeling uh, coming out. I think that's a big advantage. I think that uh, going up against the Republicans this year, where there is so much at stake, uh, where every one of them is literally wanting to turn the clock back to uh, trickle-down economics, to repeal the Affordable Care Act, to you know go after a woman's right to make her health care decisions, defund Planned Parenthood, uh, try to do what they can to derail uh, marriage equality, on and on and on. I think it's important... Uh, for voters to understand that uh, if they don't want to see a Republican going back into the White House, then, you know, I think it's fair to say I'm the most prepared uh, and ready person not only to win the election, but to be president. And that is Rachel Maddow interviewing. Oh, no, sorry. That's that's Chris Hayes. Right. So, that, yeah, that's sorry. Wrong, wrong person. In any case, uh, Hillary Clinton says that the Bernie Sanders is, is not really she's super electable because nothing new will come out about her. 
because she deleted everything, right? <laughs> Nothing new will come out about her if she can help it. Uh, the, by the way, the, there are apparently 150 federal agents currently working on Hillary's corruption case. So there is obviously the chance she might be indicted. There's the possibility that she might be prosecuted. Uh, Bernie Sanders does better in national polling than Hillary by a long shot. Hillary actually loses to Ted Cruz in the latest national polling. She loses by four points to Ted Cruz and five points to Marco Rubio in the latest national polling. And she's neck and neck with Donald Trump. Bernie Sanders beats all comers. Bernie Sanders is not going to win the nomination, but he should be a, a telltale sign that the Democratic Party has moved so far to the left that it's just a matter of time until someone like Bernie Sanders, who's not old and crotchety, ends up winning the nomination. Barack Obama is basically Bernie Sanders, just not Bernie Sanders. And, and it's, it's kind of amazing, but the truth is that, that Joe Biden said it straight out this week. Joe Biden was praising Bernie Sanders. Joe Biden is, wishes desperately he had not dropped out of this race. He feels like if he had not dropped out, he would actually be competing in Iowa and New Hampshire, and he could win the nomination. And I have to say, that's probably true. He would have a solid shot at the nomination, Joe Biden, if he had not dropped out of the race. Here is Joe Biden praising Bernie Sanders. And again, he's leaving the door open. He was asked yesterday, would you, are you ruling out a presidential run? And Joe Biden said, I never say never. Okay, it's two weeks before Iowa. And he's saying, I never say never. Here's Joe Biden. Bernie is speaking to a yearning that is deep and real, and he has credibility on it. And that is the absolute enormous concentration of wealth in a small group of people with the middle class now being able to be shown being left out. There used to be a basic bargain. If you contributed to the profitability of an enterprise, you got to share in the profit. That's been broken. Productivity's up. Wages are but stagnant. But Hillary's talking about that as well. Well, it's, but it's, it's, it's relatively new for Hillary to talk about that. Hillary's focus has been on other things up to now, and that's been Bernie's. Uh, no one questions Bernie's authenticity on those issues. And they question so, hers, you say? Well, I, I think they question everybody's who hasn't been talking about it all along. But I think she's come forward with some really, really thoughtful approaches to deal with the issue. But I, I just think, and look, you know, everybody, you know, it's the old thing. No one, everybody wants to be the favorite. No one wants to be the prohibitive favorite. Okay, so, so Joe Biden right here is basically endorsing Bernie Sanders. He says Bernie's authentic. Hillary is just a manipulator. He went on in that interview, by the way, to say everybody's a Democratic Socialist. He said Bernie calls himself a Socialist, but the truth is that Bernie agrees with me, and he agrees with Hillary, which is why Hillary Clinton has had so much trouble trying to distinguish between what is socialism versus what is capitalism, what is socialism versus what does it mean to be a Democrat, because the answer is there is no difference, and Bernie Sanders is, is proof positive of that. So... Hillary is, is very, very vulnerable in this, in this particular election cycle, very vulnerable. And yet, and yet, the Republicans seem bound and determined to lose an election to Hillary Clinton. I discussed yesterday David Brooks of the New York Times, and David Brooks is considered the faux conservative. He's considered the conservative at the New York Times, which is just, I mean, that, that's, that's like being, you know, the, the, the Menshevik at the Bolshevik, at the Bolshevik convention. He's, he's, he's not conservative. He's, he's a leftist. But, but David Brooks... He, he wrote a piece for the New York Times today in which he called Senator Ted Cruz. He actually called him brutal and suggested that he was a pagan barbarian. That's what he actually called him in a piece for the New York Times. This is David Brooks. He says, Cruz is a stranger to most of what would generally be considered the Christian virtues, humility, mercy, compassion, and grace. Cruz's behavior in the Haley case is almost the dictionary definition of Phariseeism, an overzealous application of the letter of the law 
in a way that violates the spirit of the law, as well as fairness and mercy. Okay, I'm not going to go into biblical commentary about the differences between Judaism and Christianity and why the, the generalized, why Judaism is Phariseeism and why the New, New Testament actually mixes up being a Pharisee and being a Sadducee. But in any case, that, that's a historical conversation for another time. Let's just take it on its own merits. When David Brooks says that Cruz is a stranger to humility, mercy, compassion, and grace, what he actually means by this is that Ted Cruz doesn't agree with him that government ought to use the power of the government gun to push through David Brooks's concept of mercy, compassion, and grace. So what he says is, Cruz's speeches are marked by what you might call pagan brutalism. There's not a hint of compassion, gentleness, and mercy. Instead, his speeches are marked by a long list of enemies and vows to crush, shred, destroy, and bomb them. When he is speaking in a church, the contrast between the setting and the emotional tone he sets is jarring. The fact is, his apocalyptic diagnosis is ridiculous. The Obama administration has done things people like me strongly disagree with. But America is in better shape than any other major nation on earth. Crime is down. Abortion rates are down. 14 million new jobs have been created in five years. Obama has championed a liberal agenda, but he hasn't made the country unrecognizable, is what David Brooks thinks. This is why the Republican Party is going to lose to a non-entity like Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton is a, she's a political manipulator who has found herself in the midst of a left wave. And she doesn't really know what to do with it. She feels awkward with it. But at the same time, the Republicans who really could be pushing forward in this space, they really could be pointing out the fact that we are at, a, at an inflection point. We're at a turning point. And as I've been saying for days now, weeks now, months now, the difference in the Republican Party is the people who think that we're at a, a low point in America's history, but we're, you know, five seconds from correcting it. And really, Obama's bad, but he ain't that bad. It could be worse. And people like me who believe that Barack Obama is maybe the worst thing ever to happen to the country, certainly since the Civil War, the worst thing to happen to America, and that he is, in fact, a, a causing and driving force in turning America into something that is unrecognizable. That, in fact, we are turning into something unrecognizable, a nation where the government can force you to buy things, a nation where the government can force you to violate your religion on pain of, of fine and jail, a nation where the government can force you to do pretty much anything it wants and then fine you and jail you if, if you disagree. I think that you know, if, you, if you agree with David Brooks, you think that Ted Cruz is a madman because he talks about this catastrophic future. If you agree with me, then you believe that David Brooks is mad, and, or at least at very least oblivious, for suggesting that Barack Obama is basically hunky-dory. The reason that David Brooks is ripping on Ted Cruz this way is not even because of the rhetoric. It's because if Ted Cruz were to speak in the same jarring terms about why government should be involved in helping everybody, He'd be a Democrat, and David Brooks would basically be okay with him. And this is why Hillary can be a non-entity, but so long as the Republican Party keeps running non-entities, they're going to have trouble beating Hillary Clinton. David Brooks is, is not a conservative in any way, shape, or form, and it's just demonstrative of the fact that if you are going to get love from the mainstream media, it's probably because you are not a conservative in the first place. Okay, on to some things that I like and some things that I hate. And, you know, the things that I hate, needless to say, the State of the Union— uh, things that I like. I don't know how many of you, it's actually before my time, but I grew up on, on the music of Jim Croce. I don't know how many people have heard the music of Jim Croce. He's the Beatles if they didn't suck. Um, and uh, the, the, uh, I think the Beatles are, are wildly overrated. The Beatles, the, the first 45 seconds of every Beatles song is great, and then it goes on for another eight minutes. Uh, Jim Croce is a terrific songwriter, died very, very young. Um, but he, one, of his, one of his songs is actually my, maybe my favorite song, a song called I Got a Name, which is a terrific song, really great song. Uh, and he his his songs are funny and they're and they're 
catchy and they're fun. So check out Jim Croce if you've never heard any Jim Croce. I'm sure most people who watch have heard this, but for the youngsters, people who are my age, and most of the people who listen to the podcast, watch the podcast, are between the ages, we know, of 18 and 35 years old. If you haven't heard of Jim Croce, check him out. He's way better than the Beatles. He's way better than, than most of the other people. He's better than David Bowie, for sure. So check out Jim Croce if, if you have a chance. Okay, on to some things that I hate. First of all, Barack Obama is going to follow his State of the Union with a, with a media tour. His media tour is going to be a media tour with YouTube stars. So the President of the United States, who is supposedly you know, the, the man who has elevated the, the national rhetoric, a man who has not divided us, he is going to be interviewed by a bunch of YouTube stars, including Ingrid Nilsson, who's known as Miss Glamorazzi, Destin Sandin of the Science Channel Smarter Every Day, and Adonde Thorne, a.k.a. Swoozy. All of them have over 3 million subscribers on YouTube, and they will ask questions of him. And uh, they all posted videos expressing their excitement at President Obama degrading the office of the presidency once again by putting himself in front of the selfie sticks of the YouTube crowd. And again, I'm, I'm not somebody who's really snooty about the people who you're interviewed by, but President Obama purports to be an intellectual in how he approaches politics. He purports to be above us all. The common man is a gun-toting fanatic who believes in that crazy Jesus guy. And then he goes and he talks to the people at YouTube, and we're supposed to believe that he's a genius and that he's, that he's really elevated the office of the presidency. And these are the same people who believe that Bill Clinton elevated the office of the presidency. So this is, this is no big surprise. Okay, something else that I hate. So one of the things that we like to follow in the Things I Hate segment is the fashion trend. So I think last week we talked about Jaden Smith, who is Will Smith's son, being part of the Louis Vuitton campaign. Uh, on, on, he's in the women's wear campaign. Well, now, apparently, the, the new fashion deal, Burberry, which is another one of these brands that costs a fortune for stuff that you could buy for like half the price on a street corner, uh, Burberry has now brought out its new line, and its new line, they say, is men wearing sparkly things. So here is a picture of, of what they think is going to be the new men's fashion style uh, for, for men are going to be, for people who can't see. Again, this is why you need to subscribe to The Daily Wire and you need to subscribe to our podcasts. Here is an androgynous-looking human. Uh, you have no clue whether this is a man or a woman. I assume this is a man because it's a male line, but who knows? I mean, given Jaden Smith. First of all, look how bored the people in the background are. These are the people who are supposed to be excited at the brand-new fashion-forward thinking of Burberry. This is a guy wearing what looks basically like a tracksuit, except it's super sparkly. It's like if Liza Minnelli wore a tracksuit. And this is, and, and what they say is that all of this, is, and we, we can show another one so we can show it's not just a single photo. Now this guy's wearing sparkly pants. So it's not just sparkly, it's not just a sparkly sweater. Now he's wearing sparkly pants. And it honestly looks like a photo shoot from Zoolander. I mean, there's, <laughs> all these people look like they're direct from Zoolander. Here's a, here's a dude wearing sparkles around his eyes, which I don't know what that's supposed to be unless he's an ice dancer. I don't really know what the purpose of all this. He's wearing lipstick and, and sparkles around the eyes. And we are told that this is the new masculine. Mashable, which is just uh, it's just an execrable side. I mean, Mashable, any, and Mashable is the place that brings you pictures of eight-year-old children in drag and tells you what heroes the parents are. Mashable, they say, though track jackets in complete sequin could look a little garish, the brand paired each of the looks with tailored outerwear pieces, such as duffel coats, top coats, military and pea coats, and, of course, its trenches. This balance of yin and yang, youthful and traditional, with its styling made for a charming collection. See, it's refreshing to witness a stalwart brand like Burberry take a firm stance on expanding the definitions of masculinity. 
The modern man is not bound by rigid, outdated definitions of manhood. He can bend, twist, and be as playful as he wants. Um, okay. Masculinity is a word with a definition. That definition does not include dudes in sequence who are bisexual. Okay, that's not, that's not traditional masculinity. That's, that's just not, okay? Masculinity involves, traditionally, one of the hallmarks of masculinity is the protection of women and not being one, right? There, there are a few distinguishing factors. I'm not saying there can't be gay men who are masculine. There are gay men who are masculine. I know many gay men who are masculine, but or, or and, and there are gay men who are bisexual. But if you dress like a woman, that is not a masculine thing. And if you're wearing traditionally feminine garb, that is not a masculine thing. And I will say that heterosexuality traditionally has been, quote-unquote, more masculine in the sense, not that men with high levels of testosterone can't be gay. They can, but more traditionally masculine in the sense that masculinity has been built around the idea that you protect a woman and then and that you and that you produce children. Like these have been two traditional hallmarks of masculinity. And I know this is now politically incorrect. We have to switch the definitions of everything. I'm not saying whether masculinity is good or bad. Notice, I think it's a very good thing. There are people who think it's a very bad thing. But some of the traditional aspects of masculinity have included dressing differently than women and also fathering children and protecting women. I think these are all plenty good things. I think there's a reason that the Bible says that men should not dress like women and women should not dress like men. I think that distinctions between the sexes are important, and it's important to reinforce those distinctions between the sexes. Now, I will say, I think there's a brand of man who will wear this who's not gay and has nothing to do with sexuality. I think that there are Israeli guys who you know, wear tracksuits to, to synagogue who would wear Burberry, sparkly, sequined outfits. I think that there are black rappers who would wear Burberry, sparkly, sequined outfits. I think there are Russian mobsters who would wear Burberry, sequined outfits. What I will say is that the idea that we're going to mainstream sequins for men, that this is some sort of push forward on behalf of sexuality and sexual orientation, tell the guys who are unloading off of the ships on World War II onto the beaches of Normandy that this is what they were fighting for, was the right of men to wear sequins. That this is what masculinity would become, that their great-grandchildren would be focused specifically on their own bravery in wearing sequins, and they would laugh at you as well they should. So and there are a couple of, of things that I hate. And finally, by the way, this is this from USC. This is, this is sort of an incredible story. USC is now requiring students to disclose the number of sexual encounters they have had. A mandatory online course at the University of Southern California, according to Campus Reform, asks students to disclose the number of sexual encounters they've had over the past three months and teaches students to ask for consent by saying, how far would you be comfortable going? And would you like to try this with me? <laughs> in an email obtained by Campus Reform, students were told they must complete the Title IX training in order to register for courses in the spring. So if you want to even register, you have to say how many campus, how many sexual partners you've had, and, and you have to and you have to go through training that teaches you that if you're about to have sex with somebody, you have to ask them questions uh, uh, like, how far would you like to go, and would you like to try this with me? Nothing is sexier than that, by the way. You're in the middle of going at it with your significant other, and you stop and you say, how far would you like this to go? There's actually a very funny episode of New Girl in which, in which uh, Zoe, Deschanel, Zoe Deschanel, how do you pronounce her last name? Deschanel, Deschanel, okay, Zoe Deschanel. She, she's, it's, it's a flashback of her from prom night in high school, and, she, and she's dating a guy who's a complete feminist, and, he is, and he's asking her permission every step of the way, <laughs> and it's a, very, it's a very funny bit. But this is basically what they're creating, is they're creating a world where if, a, if you're masculine and you want to defend women and you want to be a man and you want to dress like a man and you want to have kids, that's bad. But then because it turns out that men react with aggression because men are aggressive by nature, then we have to create rules like you have to ask for a signed permission slip every step of the way. 
in order to fight the rape culture. I have another way of fighting the rape culture. It was called Christianity. Right? It was called Judaism. It was called basic standards of behavior, mandated by God, reinforced by your family and your church. I mean, wasn't that nice? Wasn't that fun? And now all that's gone, we went back to the rape culture, and it turns out now the only way to, to get rid of the rape culture in the absence of civilization is to turn men into women. And so we are fully on board with that. Well, welcome to the new United States under President Barack Obama. I'm sure you'll hear all about it tonight in all of its glory. I hope that you dramatically enjoy not watching the State of the Union address tonight. I will bear that cross for your sins. Yet another Jew that you should thank. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, let's say you were a stormtrooper and you were enjoying a nice meal of roasted Ewok in the Death Star mess hall. Well, all of a sudden you hear the voice of Alec Guinness saying, use the force, Luke. The next thing you know, the entire place is going up in flames around you. And it's at this moment you really wished you had life insurance. Make life insurance part of your financial planning this year. Start shopping right now with Policy Genius. Find the right policy and protect your family. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from top companies and find your lowest price. Luckily, Policy Genius helps you compare your options from top companies and their team of licensed experts. Well, they're on hand to help talk you through it. No added fees. Your personal information remains private. It's super satisfying to check life insurance off that to-do list. A good life insurance plan can give you peace of mind that if something happens to you, God forbid, your family will be able to cover mortgage payments, college costs, or other expenses. Life insurance through your workplace might not offer enough protection for your family's needs. It's not going to follow you if you leave your job. Head on over to policygenius.com right now. Save time and money. Give your family a financial safety net with Policy Genius. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro or click that link in the description. Get your free life insurance quotes. See how much you could save. That's policygenius.com slash Shapiro. Hey, 